city of Corinth. Um, so I actually got some slides. I had them together last week, but because Brother Josh was gone, I didn't want to be overbearing on Brother Nitten. So, <clears throat> but we are going to go through a few slides here as we review, and then, then we'll get into the, the new uh, lesson for t- today. We're still in the city of Corinth, still talking about that, and then we will um, talk a little bit about the Isthmian games that I mentioned last week. But uh, I had a couple things to mention um, on, the way to, on the way to church today, Emma, or no, on the way to pick the, the kids up um, on the van. Brother John Woodward was in here just a few minutes before church started, and I guess he stopped somebody. But anyway, he was talking. He said, yeah, it's, it's dangerous, talking about the cars. So as we pulled out, Emma said, I wish there weren't cars. And I said, yeah? Yeah, then there wouldn't be people dying from them. I said, it'd be a long walk to church. No, we'd use horse and buggies. I said, that'd be a long horse and buggy ride. And I got to thinking about it, you know, the Amish. And I'm like, man, I'm so glad we don't do that. That would be. They do. They do have crashes, but... That'd be a long ride to church. But uh, the second thing I wanted to mention was uh, uh, pray, for, pray for the kids we pick up on the, on the van. You got Ryan is the oldest one, Charles, and Chase. And I found out yesterday he hates being called Charlie. I've been calling him Charlie the whole time. I, Please stop calling me Charlie. And I was like, all right. Now I can't remember which one he likes because I've been doing the other one so long. But anyway, pray for them and their little sister Tesla too. Um, you know, we... we started this bus ministry, even though it's a van, for the purpose of bringing kids in, and we know pretty much they're not going to be saved. They're going to be lost kids. Thankfully, their mom and grandma come almost every week with them. That's, that's huge. Our thought was, you know, if we, if we start them coming, we'll, we'll get the kids coming to church. This is how a bus ministry works. You get the kids coming to church. You talk to the parents every Saturday. They get excited about it. And then you use something like a VBS or something to get the parents in. And then hopefully they go, you know what, we need to keep coming to church. Well, from like week two or three, we had the friend day and their mom and grandma came to church. And uh, she is their stepmom, by the way. Uh, Their real mom has lots of issues um, that we won't go into. But but when you start to kind of find out the background, you you start to, it's not an excuse, but you start to realize, okay, now I know why. They act the way they do sometimes. And uh, this is live stream, so hopefully they don't. But uh, I'm not going to give you any details. But anyway, on the way here today, uh, Ryan was pretty quiet. And I said, uh, well, his brothers mentioned something that he did. And he said, but I'm trying really hard to change, Mr. Bryant. That's what we're, want. That's what we're asking, you know. Um, now, the only thing that will ultimately change them is God saving their soul and changing their heart. But if we can get him trying to change, trying to sit through the service and listen, then God can speak to his heart, and that's what we're after. So pray for those guys. I know sometimes we, we don't think about them from, you know, until we see them again on Sunday, but they go through their whole week, and they, they get into a lot of situations. They're in a couple different homes. I'm, when I mean homes, they're here most of the week, but then they go to their real mom's home, and there's a reason she doesn't have custody. So they deal with a lot of that. They deal with a lot of um, the verbal abuse from their mom. That's the main reason they won't let them stay with her. She just pretty rough. So anyway, um, pray for those guys. That's I wanted to mention that. Um, you know, you hear them back there. Hey, at least they're participating, right? If you open the floor, you're gonna they're gonna they're gonna shout. So, um, but anyway.
Pray for them. You have no idea. I have no idea what God could possibly do with them. Uh, if he saves them, gets them serious, um, man, you never know. So anyway, they were at the picnic yesterday. A bunch of y'all were there. They did great as far as shooting guns and everything. We were a little bit nervous about that. They followed all the rules, and I had, was able to have a good talk with Ryan. I said, look, when you follow the rules, you see the fun you can have? That's all I'm after at church. If you follow the rules, nobody's going to be hollering at you, you know. So pray for them. Ryan, Charlie, Charles, Chase, and Tesla. All right, so let's get into our lesson. We're in 1 Corinthians. Brother Josh, uh, if you can go to slide two, we talked about uh, Corinth being, and I'm not, okay. So these are, next one too, Brother Josh. This is called Corinthian order architecture. This is what their architecture looked like back then. It's not just something that they do now, and they're like, oh, that's, we call it Corinth. This is Corinthian architecture. And so look at it. It's beautiful. And the whole point is what we were talking about last week. This city was pretty uh, forward-thinking, very wicked, but they had a lot of money. They had a lot of uh, power, and they were very much a powerful Greek uh, state at this time. All right, <clears throat> Brother Josh, what is the next one? Okay. Next one. So you see the little, the little canal there, and we talked about that, where they were always trying to make a, a cut through there. Next slide. This is the one that I had you looking at in your Bibles. All right, this is Paul's missionary journeys. It's, uh, it's a little bit bigger here. I'm not, we're not trying to look at all those lines, even those are, those are the four different journeys, all the different colors, and you can see the, the ledger on the side here. Um, but what I wanted you to see on this was kind of the cities and it gives you, kind of puts into perspective, you know, where Paul was going and where Corinth is in regards to that. He always left Antioch, which you can see is, it should be over here, right? Under Asia, there it is, Antioch. He was always leaving Antioch right under the word Asia in Asia Minor. And he traveled a lot down here into Jerusalem, and he was always coming back through. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see, Antioch is almost a hub. It's, he's in and out of there a lot. And then you, if you read in your, in your Bible, you'll, you'll see that too. He's always, <clears throat> that's why the missionary journeys to me are confusing. He's always going back to Antioch. And there's also an Antioch Pisidia, which is a different Antioch. So it gets a little bit confusing. But that's the Antioch he was always heading out of. And if you remember in your Bible, that's where he stayed for a couple years and learned with Barnabas. He stayed in Antioch. And that's, I don't know that that was his home. You see his journeys, he didn't really have a home. But that's kind of where he based out of there was Antioch. All right, so that's what we were looking at with this map, though, is kind of to show you where Corinth is at and how close it is to, to Greece. It is part of Greece. It's just got that little uh, strip of land we said was four miles wide that connects it to the mainland of Greece. And then I told you last week, I always think of Corinth as a Roman city. It, it did become a Roman city when Rome conquered. But you can see how far away, uh, it's not like, you know, but it's a long way away from, from Rome. Um, but then they took over and Corinth became a Roman city. All right, what's the next slide, brother? There we go. That is the canal when they finally cut it through, all right? And we said it's 75 feet wide and 300 feet high. Uh, so you can, you can imagine why... It took so long to build this. They, it wasn't that they were working on it for so long necessarily. Nobody wanted to tackle this job. It was, it's a big job right through the, 
right through the mountains. And I think I'll mention it later, but it's, I don't know how to say it, but it's the Onion Mountains. And they were about 2,000 feet above sea level, so they had to dig down pretty deep. That's 300 feet high, that canal is, though. All right? And they still use it today. It's, it's, uh, I was reading on it, I didn't put it in my notes really, but um, they said this, this channel was really a flop. It was, more of a, it was more of something the emperors were all trying to do to say, look what I did, kind of like we have now. <laughs> put programs in place that are really uh, just not that good and not that efficient, but they want it. So now, almost because it's so, so um, narrow, no big ships can get through there. So 75 feet wide. Could you imagine trying to widen that 10 feet? So they just aren't going to worry about it, right? Especially with the ships we have now, they just go around. It's no big deal. But um, they still use it a lot for tourists, and it's a big tourist attraction and all that. All right, now, so we're still reviewing from last week. Uh, we said Corinth had a known population as early as 1,000 B.C. Does anybody remember how many we said during Paul's day, how many people would have been here? Everybody remembers? Between five and 700,000. So it, when it came back, it came back really quick. Remember... I'm trying to look in my notes, but in 146 B.C., the Roman general Mummius uh, came here to Corinth. They would not surrender, so they turned them all into slaves. He, he did conquer them, but he, because they wouldn't surrender, he made them all slaves, killed all the men, turned everyone else, all the women and children, into slaves and took them out. And the city was pretty much vacant for 100 years. In 146, we have... I mean, in 46, that was 146, so 100 years later, in 46, uh, Caesar came and rebuilt Corinth, and then about 100 years after that, right, Paul is here, and you have um, between five and 700,000 people. So it came back, built back really quickly, and, and we talked about that. The reason it built back so quick is because it was such an important hub, such an important uh, cut through. Um, I was reading on this, too. Before they had the channel there, uh, they had a, a, a road that wasn't paved, but it basically it might as well, it was their pavement for the day. Really nice road that these boats would come up on and just portage across and jump back in the water, the smaller boats. So, all right, I think we are at the end of review. So let's get back into uh, the city of Corinth, and we're going to start with, next slide, Brother Josh. Okay, that's a little bit blurry. I was hoping it'd be it would clear up a little bit more than that. Go to the next one. Okay. This is the temple of Apollo. They, they talk about Apollo and Aphrodite. The uh, proper name was Venus Aphrodite. This was the god that they worshipped. She was the goddess of passion. And you can imagine, you'll, you'll really understand, okay, when we start talking about this, they're worshipping the goddess of passion, okay? Now, this is the temple of Apollo, very, very likely these were the same temple, Apollo and Epaphrodite, or Aphrodite. They were, they were the same place. Um, you can kind of see how big it is. I think I have one more slide, Brother Josh. Okay, so that's the one I was looking for. Those are the temple ruins now. That's what's left of it. Um, but it's still standing, what, 2,000 years later almost? Uh, those ruins. And so this temple, we're going to start right in talking about the temple of Aphrodite. Um, she wasn't the only god of the Corinthians, but she was the favorite god of, goddess of the Corinthians. And uh, history tells us, I don't think it's, uh, it's not in the Bible, but we, 
they talk about how wicked the city was, but a thousand male and female prostitutes were housed. You can go back to the actual temple. Were housed in the temple. A thousand. And uh, history tells us it was not, you know, like it was in America for, for a long, long time. You had to go, you know, to the back alleys to access these places. This was wide open. Everybody knew it, and they weren't ashamed of it. And it was actually their religion was passion. And we won't get too much, uh, too much into it, but I was, I was looking up, you know, some, of, uh, some about this, and they actually, in Corinth, they're in, in, in Greece proper today, they still are very, very proud of this heritage. It's still a wicked place, even now. Um, but they uh, have a temple to Aphrodite in, uh, I don't think it's in Corinth, but it's in Greece today, and it's, it's just a brothel is what it is, and they're still very proud of it, though, so they try to link their past with what they have now, and they're trying to bring back the wickedness, and they're proud of uh, the wicked culture that their uh, city represents. Um, I'll, I'll say this now, that this, this, this temple is what gave Corinth its, its wicked, wicked image, and it was back in this day, it a prostitute was called a Corinthian girl. That's what they called them. Oh, she's a Corinthian girl. That's what they were called. So it kind of tells you how common, how normal it was. Um, talked about the mountain range that it's on. So we are going to, I'm going to read you something here um, from a guy named Baxter. He says this about Corinth. Her vice was raised into a religion, and the idolaters of Corinth are fitly set between fornicators and adulterers. And you can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. From the filthiest slough of sin, Paul's converts at Corinth were extracted. Not even at Antioch had he seen the condition of the Gentile world, its pride and power, its fancied wisdom, and its utter depravity displayed so vividly. We can well imagine how staggered and sickened Paul must have been by this huge quagmire of refined voluptuousness and gross sensualism. The filthy rituals of idolatry and the soul-debasing religions which made animal indulgence meritorious. The swaggering pride of supposed Greek wisdom and the utter corruption of it all. That's what Baxter says about Corinth. You, so you can imagine. This is what Paul walks into. It wasn't, and it wasn't, it wasn't that Paul was naive to this. He knew what he was going into, but this is, God has called him to go preach the gospel, and this is where he goes. He comes and finds this city. Um, now, Romans was written from Corinth. So, when you see in the first book of, first uh, chapter of Romans, Paul's talking about, he gives this, I'll read this, in all the Bible, there is not a more awful description of human sin and degradation than the first chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans and it was written from Corinth. So you can kind of see he's telling the Romans, hey, you know, he talks about, you know, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But if you read Romans chapter 1, he's going through all these different sins. He was writing that from Corinth. So very likely this is what's in his mind as he's watching what's going on in Corinth, and then he writes to the Romans. So uh, he wasn't necessarily telling the church at Rome, hey, this is how wicked your church is. He was saying, I know exactly how far you, you can go back and how wicked, you know, the, a human can be. All right, so Romans was written from Corinth, and Romans chapter 1 kind of gives us a picture of what Paul would have been looking at. All right, so 
as wicked as the city was, it was also a very beautiful city. I think the next slide, Brother Josh, that's the actual picture from back in the day. See that car up top? No, I'm just kidding. I, I really can't tell if this is a, a drawing. I think, it's a, I think it's a painting, but whoever did it made it look really real. I'm not sure if it's a painting or not. But these are the Corinthian hot springs now. And the next slide kind of shows you that's what they had. These are ruins from Paul's day. That's what they would have had. So you can kind of see what it would have looked like. Those are the, those are the Corinthian hot springs. That they, and they were known for that. Um, wasn't a swimming pool. Uh, it, it, knowing the background of the city, it would have been a very wicked place here too, but this is kind of where they uh, went and worshipped, and, and they were very much into, you know, worshipping the human body and everything else. So they uh, worshipped Aphrodite, the, the goddess of passion. So the city itself, and then we're going to get into a, a little bit lengthier uh, topic here, but the city itself was only a five-mile circumference, the city proper. And then there was what's called Acro-Corinth, which was kind of the outskirts. The entire city was a 10-mile circumference, and it was all walled. So it was a 10-mile circumference walled city. That was Corinth. And the reason they had to do that was because every, every big city did that back then, but it was for, for protection. They're right on the water. And, you know, we like to... Talk about pirates and everything else. They, they were the, around back then. They were trying to steal from anybody out on the water, steal from port cities, and Corinth was one of those. So they had this wall around the entire city, 10 miles in circumference. All right, now we're going to get into the Isthmian Games. And I want to get through, I want to be done with the uh, city and the background and, and that today. So that's why we're kind of moving. Um, next slide, Brother Josh. Uh, uh, that is Poseidon, the goddess, the god of the sea. And the Isthmian Games were founded in his honor. Um, we talked about this last week. They were all into Greek mythology because they were a Greek city. They were into Greek mythology. We're not going to go into that. There's too many names, too many. This was the son of this guy, this god. And so I'm, I'm going to leave it as Poseidon was the one that the Isthmian Games were, were named after. Uh, I'm going to do some reading here. I don't have the text up on, the, on these slides, but I'm going to do a little bit of reading as we go through this. But the Isthmian Games in ancient Greek were held in the spring of the second and fourth year of what they call the Olympiad. So the Olympics were every four years. The Isthmian Games were every other second and fourth year. All right? Um, and they would do them in the spring of the second and fourth year between the uh, Olympics. Um, and what it was is they were, so the legend attributes, they started under the Sisyphus, the king of Corinth. Um, and then they say, or Theseus, we don't know. So it's one of those guys, but they were just a king of Corinth. And the, the Isthmian Games were open to all Greeks. So it wasn't just Corinthians. Any Greek could come in, but only Greeks. Um, they wouldn't let anybody else come in and be a part of it, but it was open to anybody. You didn't have to be a special, you know, I mean, you would have in order to win, but you didn't have to, there was really no uh, other stipulations except you had to be a Greek, and anybody could be a part of it. Um, they were especially popular with the Athenians, and uh, if you can find that slide, but if you go back, you'll see where Athens is at in comparison to uh, Corinth. 
Sorry, Brother Josh. That's, that's the one you want to see how close Athens is to Corinth. So it was especially popular with the Athenians. Um, but listen to this. The victor's prize, and this was kind of common back, back in this time period, the victor's prize was originally a crown of dried wild celery. And I, we got those two. That's what they won after all that work, right? The one on the right would have been the dried celery. That was ancient, ancient times. When the Romans took over, they switched it to a pine, a, a pine bough crown. So huge upgrade. But that's what you were trying to win. There was no medals, no gold, silver, or bronze. That's what you were trying to win. And that's what they were after was to, you know, uh, basically uh, bring some, some pride to their city. And then they got a, a crown. And you remember, and we'll talk about this here in a second, but when Paul says, I'm, I'm going after an incorruptible crown, this is what he'd been referring to. You know, he would have seen these gains and been like, that's what you're going for? That thing's going to be dead in a couple weeks, you know? Um, but that's what he's mentioning, and we're going we're gonna to talk about those here in a second. So that's what they won. Um, they say the celebration of this festival completely died out in the 4th century when Christianity kind of took over, um, and they, they got rid of all these games and everything. But the, all right, Brother Josh, next slide. Okay, you can read a little bit about those. Uh, they, they started this in 580 B.C. and went till about the 4th century. So a uh, good long run, and then they, they stopped. But listen to this. The athletes would compete in foot races, wrestling, boxing, throwing the discus and javelin, the long jump, chariot racing, poetry reading, and singing. It's just kind of interesting. They would read poetry as an Olympic sport or as, as one of these Isthmian, and somebody would win a, a, a crown for that. Um, the women also uh, took part in this, and actually there's some uh, inscriptions, some ancient inscriptions mentioning some of the women win, winning the 200-meter dash and also some women winning the war chariot races. So they would race these chariots, and, and a couple of times women won those. Uh, and, and so they... They put that down for the history books. But um, there were no permanent accommodations. Go to Acts chapter 18. And I am going to have a few people read here um, as we go through. And we're going to go through pretty quick because I'm going to be done at 1040. All right. Acts chapter 18, verse 3 says, And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. There were no buildings at these Isthmian games. There was no way to accommodate all these people, so everybody would have been in tents, just kind of camped wherever they could be. So interesting that Paul very likely would have used his tent-making abilities and, you know, for repairs and things like that. Um, and he also uh, jumped in with Aquila and Priscilla here. If you read verse 2, he found a certain Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. So they were tent makers as well. That's what it's referring to there in verse 3. Um, so they would have been in tents, tents and uh, Paul would have been had plenty of work there to provide for himself along with Aquila and Priscilla. Um, Acts chapter 18, um, it doesn't, we don't know exactly why Paul went to Corinth. And this is on his second missionary journey. If you look in your map, we're not going to go to it on the slide, but if you look in your map, You'll see he went to Corinth on his second missionary journey. We don't know exactly why he went there, but we, we have a few reasons, and we are going to go through these. Um, Brother Nitten, 
If I can have you turn to Acts chapter 8, you're probably there, Acts 18, and read verse 4 here in a second. Miss Neha, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And you're going to be okay, Miss Barbara? All right. Um, okay. Mr. Forbes, can you go to Romans chapter 9 for me? And we'll start with those three. Uh, Romans chapter 9, we're going to go through verses 1 through 5. We probably won't read all of them, though. I'll tell you which verse to read here in a second. Um, but we have, we have a few, few maybe common sense reasons why Paul would have gone to Corinth, and we're going to go through these. Uh, first, it was, on a it was a strategic line of communication. Paul would have, he would have needed to communicate back and forth to his home church and to some of his other... Uh, if you remember, uh, I think he asks Timothy... At one point, it might have been on his third missionary journey when he comes back to Corinth, but he asked Timothy at one point, hey, can you bring my cloak and my books? Remember that? Remember that? Um, that's why he would have gone to Corinth. One of, the main, one, of the, one of the reasons is because he could communicate back and forth. He would have been able to send letters off and things like that pretty quickly, pretty easily. Um, and it was a very popular trade route, uh, a maritime trade route, so... Boats would have been coming and going all the time. He would have been able to send his mail. Um, the second reason, and Brother Nitton, here's where I'm going to have you read Acts 18, verse 4. But the second reason was Corinth had a, a big Jewish community there. And read that verse. I already moved away from it. So Acts 18, 4. So he went to the synagogues every Sabbath and was preaching to the Jews, and, and it says, and the Greeks, so maybe Greeks were coming in there to try to hear as well. But as a general rule, we talked about this last week, Paul always sought out the Jews first, and then he would, then he would when they said, we don't want to hear any more, then he would go to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, or whoever, wherever he was at. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. So you see that again, he's the Jew first, that, that's his heart, and then he goes to the Gentiles. Mr. Forbes, let me see what verse it's in. Uh, let's go with chapter 9, verse 2, and read through, just read verses 2 and 3. So you see Paul's heart for the Jews. That's, that's the point here is he would have gone to Corinth because there was a Jewish community there that he was after. All right. Um, the third reason was that the Isthmian Games were held during the spring of AD 51. So remember, they were held the second and fourth year uh, of the, what they call the Olympiad, the, the Olympic cycle, second and fourth year. And they were held in the spring. So AD 51, they would have had the Isthmian Games. We've had groups go to the Olympics to pass out tracts and share the gospel, right? Paul was doing the same thing here. He would have known there's going to be people from everywhere. There'll be no uh, shortage of people to share the gospel with. So very likely, just from kind of our reasoning, uh, another reason he would have gone when he did to Corinth. He'd have been looking for that opportunity 
And <clears throat> all three of these reasons, none of them had to, oh, man, chance of a lifetime to see the, Olymp the, the Isthmian Games. That wasn't it. It wasn't, uh, you know, as my side hobby, I do CrossFit. Nothing wrong with CrossFit. But, and I want to be a part of the Isthmian Games. It wasn't that. Everything in Paul's life was to share the gospel. He was looking for ways to spread the gospel. Um, so next thing we're going to look at, just for a few minutes, is Paul's references to the Isthmian Games. Brother Chris, can I have you read? 1 Corinthians 9, I'm going to have you read verses 24 through 27. <clears throat> this is the first one we'll look at, and, and we'll get out of 1 Corinthians here for the next couple. But he mentions this, uh, the, very, very likely he's referring to the Isthmian Games. But I mentioned last week, remember I said, uh, you know, when Paul was writing back to the Corinthians, he's talking about things that they're absolutely going to relate with. They're going to understand exactly what he's talking about. Same way we do in preaching now, tell an illustration, try to get everybody to relate to what you're talking about. This is what Paul was doing here in verse 24, go through 27. Thank you. So we, you can kind of see some of these references. One receiveth the prize. There was no second place on the Isthmian Games. One got that crown we had up there. That was it. No second place. And that's what Paul is saying here um, in verse 24. They which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. That's what he's talking about. Then he says, uh, every man that striveth, uh, they do it for an, to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. It's exactly what he's talking about. They would have known exactly. Now, these are Christians he's, he's talking to, too. So they understand where he's coming from, but they also can relate exactly back to these Isthmian games. Very, very much uh, what Paul is referring to here is no, no doubt. Um, then he says, he goes through, and I don't have time. I thought I was going to have time. I don't, but verse Chapter 10, and maybe you can look through this on your own, but chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, he refers back to the Old Testament sins of the Israelites uh, to show these people, hey, you're not the only ones tempted with sin. Look, in the Old Testament, the, the children of Israel, and he goes through verses 1 through 13, tells them how Christians are tempted. You've got to overcome this. Um, I'm going to keep on moving so that we can finish this, but... Uh, Miss Megan, can you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12? Um, this is definitely, for sure, one of the, the, the two main um, sports, well, I guess there were three, but wrestling, boxing, and running is the three main uh, poetry reading, reading was kind of like table tennis to the Olympics. It was there, but it wasn't the main, the main show. Um, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. So, kind of hard to relate this back, but he's talking about the boxing. This is, I was reading on this, it's pretty crazy, but by the time the Romans were in charge of the Isthmian Games, it was, it was dirty. They, they would either fight to the death or somebody 
would, they would raise their index finger and say, I've quit, basically a tap out. But they could put lead, metal, whatever they wanted wrapped in their knuckles while they were boxing. So it was very brutal. And, and you know, part of me when I was reading it was like, man, that, that's pretty rough. But these people were wicked people, remember. And along with all the uh, carnality and everything else also comes brutality. They, even in our world today, it just get, people get really desensitized toward other people, and that's what you had here. It was very much a blood sport. I just go till the death. Um, <clears throat> all right, we're going to keep moving. We're almost there. Actually, I'm just going to mention these because I want to get to this last part about Nero, and then we'll, then we'll be done for today. Uh, second passage is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, and if I can get to them quick enough, I don't have them written. So uh, 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, he mentions this again. But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. These guys train, just like the Olympics, they train for two years getting, leading up to the Isthmian Games. And Paul is referring back to them here saying, hey, there's, there's, it profits, but it's not a lot of profit. It's very bodily exercise profiteth little. That's my life verse. All right. Third passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. He talks about it again. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Interesting, but there was very, a very strict set of rules for training and a very strict set of rules for competing in the Isthmian Games. And this is what Paul's referring to here. If a man also strive for masteries, he's not crowned, except he strives lawfully. So you could win first place if you didn't do it according to the rules. You didn't get that crown. You, you didn't win. And then the last place he, do, he mentions it is 2 Timothy chapter 4. Did I just mention this? No. I, no, I didn't. I read 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. And we'll go through verse 8. <clears throat> For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And this is where he's again referring back to kind of these Isthmian games, an illustration back to him. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but all to all them also that love his appearing. These guys would have been crowned by the emperor of that or the, the, the yeah, the emperor of that time. And Paul is saying here in verse eight, uh, the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to crown me. I'm not worried about that incorruptible crown you guys are fighting for are competing for, I'm worried about the one the righteous judge is going to give to me. So again, another reference back to these that the people would have been, <laughs> maybe, maybe in our day we'd have been like, man, that was a good message. Because he's, he's able to bring them so, with illustration, uh, close to uh, understand what he's talking about. All right, the last thing I want to talk about, and I just got a minute or two. Brother Josh, you go to the next slide. Um, we'll see, this is Nero, by the way. Very, uh, really kind of a, a goofy emperor. And that's, that's somebody's uh, depiction of what he would have looked like with AI, basically. Um, but they said, really, just like, you know, a pockmarked face, kind of a, a chubby, very not good-looking guy. And, but he thought he was a god. I mean, he thought he was the man. And I'll, I'll read this real quick, and you'll understand exactly what I mean. So... Suetonius was a Roman historian, and I'm going to read a lot of this just so I don't have to try to explain, wrote about Nero's singing exploits in Greece in his Lives of the Caesars. 
He described Nero's voice as weak and husky and even commented that one of Nero's general, generals, probably tongue-in-cheek, called it a divine voice. The singing competition did not just involve one song, but a whole oratorio usually lasting several hours. Suetonius described some humorous events that transpired while Nero sang. While he was singing, no one was allowed to leave the theater, even for the most urgent reasons. And so it is said that some women gave birth to children there while he was singing, while many who were worn out with listening and applauding secretly leapt from the walls since the gates at the entrance were closed, or feigned death and were carried out as if for burial. This is hardly a description of a prize-winning performance. Yet, Nero won almost all the contests he entered. How did he do it? So, this is what Paul is talking about. I strive lawfully. He, he may or may not have been here, but it's very likely that he was here when Nero was competing. All right? There's, one, there's four ways he could have won these competitions. First, he could have won singing on his own merits because he had an excellent voice. Suetonius told us that that wasn't the case. Uh, he could have bribed his comp competition to throw the contest. And some of them did take money Nero off, uh, that Nero offered them. One greedy competitor, they said, uh, thought he could take manage, advantage of this and ask for 10 talents of gold to, to, in order for him to uh, throw, the, throw the competition. Nero thought this was extortion. I thought that was funny. He's cheating, and he's like, you're extorting me. So he reverted to his third option, which was to send his thugs out to intimidate his competitors and get them to drop out of the race. Um, anyway, uh, the final way for him to win was to bribe the judges. And Nero did this very effectively by offering the judges Roman citizenship and a large sum of money. So uh, that's, that's how Nero was able to win these competitions. Terrible voice. He did, a, he did a bunch of other sports too in there, and he won everything. He won all of them. Um, but... I'll just read this here. I believe Paul was aware of what transpired at Isthmia and used this as the backdrop for his final words to Timothy, which we read. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And he's saying, I wasn't cheating. I didn't take shortcuts. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. And then he says, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. They say it's very likely that Paul was, was writing to Timothy from Corinth and saying uh, very possibly that he even stopped in the uh, cathedral where um, they presented the prizes and they had a mural on the floor of, and they know all this from history, uh, from archaeology and everything else, but a mural on the floor of somebody being crowned. And Paul, they say, very likely could have been looking at that and said, hey, you know, almost, almost sarcastically, I'm looking for the righteous judge to crown me with an incorruptible crown, uh, just complete opposite of what uh, these Isthmian games were about. But just a lot of references to the Isthmian games all the way through Paul's writings. Um, I think Paul really enjoyed the city of Corinth. I think the people at Corinth were, the church at Corinth was a, uh, a pretty solid church once they finally got figured out what they were doing wrong, and Paul was able to admonish them and, and uh, reprove them and then encourage them. But a um, lot, of, lot of references back to these Isthmian games all the way through Paul's writings. And we are done with the introduction. Next week we will start into the author, talk a little bit about Paul. I think sometimes we uh, know Paul. We think we know Paul, but Paul had a, was a very interesting person, had a lot uh, of interesting things in his life. We're going to talk about him next week. All right?
Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that there's so much in it, God. And as we study it um, and become students of it, God, we can learn so much. Uh, it's so rich, the, the uh, references that are in different places in the Bible. God, it, it can uh, pique our, uh, our appetite for your word, and I pray that that's what this, these lessons would do. And then as we get into studying the actual book of 1 Corinthians, I pray that you'd feed us, that you'd help us to remember what we're studying. And uh, God, just study to show ourselves approved unto God. Pray that you be with the next service, that you be with our pastor as he preaches. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're